episode of Leadership Insider. This is Scott Pierce with the American College of Radiology. And today I am joined by Amy Patel, who is a breast imager at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. And today's topic is all about diversity. Today, Amy and I are going to discuss her time as chief resident at the University of Kansas at Wichita, where she was a female resident in an all-male program, and what that entailed with her leadership and some of the issues that she encountered, as well as some of the successes that she enjoyed. So, Amy, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to be here. So there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, topics that are out there about diversity and making sure that all various uh, voices and opinions and sides are, are expressed within leadership. Um, now, you had an, an interesting uh, story here. If you wouldn't mind just kind of giving some background in terms of when you became chief resident and the circumstances surrounding it, as well as the, uh, the complexities of the program that you were in. Sure. Um, so... At the University of Kansas in Wichita, they had never had a, a female chief, um, and then my senior year, I was the only female in the program, so uh, hence how I became the first female chief in an all-male program. So, um, you know, the way the, the process um, worked is it was through uh, an election process. Uh, there was a ballot that was cast by both uh, the residents and the faculty. Um, there was no campaigning involved. Um, and basically they could vote for anyone in our class for the, as chief. So that's so it was very fair. And so that there was no campaigning, that there was no influencing. It was fair solely based on the merits of the uh, of each of us in my class. So you know, I, you know, I would have loved to do it. I would accept it, and which I did when I um, found out that I, I won, but uh, and that they w and wanted me to be the chief. But I was also a little bit hesitant because, um, you know, I knew it would be challenging being a female and uh, an all-male program. Um, you know, as much as I think particularly my generation is very progressively minded and supportive of women, you know, there are times where I think that. Um, particularly like in my experiences that males may feel that, um, you know, that maybe a female isn't as capable or not as qualified or wouldn't be able to basically, you know, uh, not control the troops per se, but kind of keep them in line and, you know, wrangle them in and that sort of thing. But um, I was pleasantly surprised that I received, uh, for the most part, incredible support um, from my co-residents, and, um, and that helped tremendously. But there were, of course, challenges involved as well, um, you know, particularly from the beginning and having to learn the balance between, um, you know, because I served as a middleman. You know, I was an advocate for the residents. But I also had to work with my program director, the chairman, and the faculty. So here I am in the middle of this, and I'm trying to appease both sides. And then I'm also, you know, just, uh, you know, the only female that's trying to, you know, handle the male <laughs> residents and making sure they don't walk all over me. And so it was this sort of back and forth, a fine-tuning, which, you know, in retrospect, it would have been nice if I would have had someone to guide me and mentor me through that process at my institution. But, you know, I think a lot of these experiences happen organically and you learn as you kind of go along and then you sort of, you know, learn what works, what doesn't work, that sort of thing. I will say, though, 
throughout the whole process, my program director, who is a male, was incredibly supportive of me and really tried to help me navigate the waters, particularly early on. And that meant everything to me because I know that I would have totally sunk if he wouldn't have been there for me every step of the way and telling me, hey, you know, you stand your ground. If you made this decision, you stick with it. And he always had my back. And that, to me, was everything. And so, you know, for the most part, the residents in our program were pretty supportive of me. They, you know, if I, you know, if I had to say no on something or, hey, this can't happen right now, for the most part, they accepted it. But there were times where they would go around me and go to my program director. But luckily, my program director and I had such a strong um, relationship that he would let me know, like, hey, this came up. Did they talk to you about it? And I'm like, I already said that this is not possible <laughs> at this time. So it was a little squirrely on the guy's part. But I totally understand that sometimes when you feel passionately about uh, wanting to invoke change in a particular area, whether it's residency education, whether it's um, you know the schedule, whatever, what have you, I understand. And so uh, when those instances occurred, usually we were able to find common ground and compromise. And a lot of, I think, my chief here had to do with compromise, understanding, respect. Those were some of the three main things that I really learned. And um, at the end of the day, loyalty. I mean, I felt that I had an obligation to be the most loyal to the residents because I represented them. And yes, you know, I did try to uh, ensure that I had a good rapport with the faculty and I was trying to appease them. But at the end of the day, you know, I was the chief advocate for my residents and I always had to have their back. So I learned a lot about loyalty as well. Yeah, I think a lot of those issues, um, whether male or female, I think are probably pretty similar across the board. You did mention, I think, some of the stuff that is unique um, in terms of that, your mindset coming in. I'm, I'm a female. How do I want to appear? Um, how is that going to be perceived, et cetera? Um, and then you also there's there's there general stereotypes, I think, that are out there, you know, regardless if it's the medical field or not, about women in leadership roles. Uh, how, how much did that weigh upon your mind? And in, in terms of that and in your approach to leadership in this new position, what are some of the things that you mentioned your, uh, that your director had your back and was a good mentor in that regard, but what are some of the things that, that may not necessarily be known or top of mind for those that are in leadership positions mm -hmm. when welcoming somebody coming into a new leadership position under them uh, when it is somebody that is like, for example, a woman um, or a minority that may have different mm -hmm. issues? What are some of those types of issues they may want to be aware of in terms of having to bring that along as well? Well, I think the first and foremost thing to remember if you're in that position is that you're not alone. Even if you're at an institution where you may not have the most exemplary of a mentor, I mean, I was very fortunate to have my program director, but you can seek mentorship elsewhere. So two of my most prolific mentors, female-wise, would have to be uh, Sherry Cannon, who's the chair at UAB, and Geraldine McGinty, who will be our new chair of the ACR, um, our vice chair, chair-elect. And they provided, you know, so much guidance and help from a female perspective because I fervently believe that to lead effectively, you need both male and female mentors and at all levels of training. And so they really, really helped me through this process, particularly Dr. McGinty, you know, even though she's up in New York and I was in Kansas, she was available for to me anytime, email, text, she was there for me and helping me navigate some difficult waters. So, you know, if you, like I said, if you don't have that mentorship that you are needing at home, I mean, there are so many other ways that you can seek mentorship 
elsewhere. And what's so wonderful about radiology is we have such an inclusive and warm society, uh, profession as a whole, that you can seek that mentorship and people will just, you know, um, you know, welcome you with open arms and help you navigate any sort of difficult water, whether it's in the realm of leadership or pursuing a job or difficulties in the workplace. We're very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And being able to tap into that community is one of the more important uh, aspects of having that sort of uh, fraternity sorority feel as. And one of the interesting things mentioning the fraternity aspect is that you had referenced your uh, fellow residents as, as sort of your, your brothers at that point mm -hmm. as far as the, the relationship. Uh, can you just kind of expound upon that a little bit? I found that rather fascinating and really good insight into terms of, of how you and probably they all saw each other under your leadership. If you could just talk a little bit about that and, and how those interpersonal relationships, because I think oftentimes, um, not stereotyping radiologists per se, but oftentimes it can be difficult. The, the cultural aspects of the interpersonal relationships mm -hmm. tend to be the more difficult things when it comes to leadership. Mm -hmm. And so if you can kind of talk about your successes there and how that sort of uh, relationship was built to the point where you're calling each other brothers in that regard. Well, right off the bat, I think it helped that my residency program was smaller. And so if it's smaller, you're working, you're taking more call, you're, you know, working closer together on rotations, that sort of thing. Um, the atmosphere is more of like a family feel. So that, and even between the residents and the attendings at that institution, it is a very inclusive sort of family feel. You know, we, um, we celebrate like family, we fight like family. It was a very sort of family atmosphere, which I really do cherish even to this day. Um, you know, so from the beginning, before I even, you know, in my initial stages of being chief, you know, I already sort of had that family foundation. But I think it just strengthened over time because really that year was a labor of love. There were a lot of changes happening in the department that we were trying to improve in regards to an educational standpoint. We were trying to revise our residency curriculum, so um, it was on an 18-month rotation and covered all the topics or most of the topics in the ABR course study guide, and so that required numerous hours of working together to figure out a really great curriculum for the residents. Um, and also, I put together a healthcare economics curriculum and, and trying to um, uh, implement that and getting feedback from that and so that was another thing or you know just trying to make them happy with when I devised the call schedule for them and vacation and coverage of call I mean it really is a labor of love you really have to sit down and work together for compromise and so in turn, I mean, that just really developed a very strong relationship. And then on top of all that, we actually wanted to hang out with each other outside of work and, you know, go to, you know, birthday parties and celebrate different events. So uh, have barbecues. So all of that in turn just really strengthened our relationship. And I'm still in very close touch with um, my former co-residents. Um, I've already been back to Kansas a couple times this year just to, you know, spend time with the residents. I mean, they really are family to me now and and that's a relationship that will last a lifetime and I'm incredibly fortunate not only do I have a friend in my profession but I just have a lifelong friend in general in these residents and uh, I think that's very unique in comparison to a lot of uh, other residency programs that may have more residents or the chief dynamic is a lot different than when I was chief so I'm incredibly fortunate for that experience. Well, that's, uh, that's a fantastic uh, story and an example, and I think that it also speaks to uh, a leadership style and quality then that, that you have that you're able to bring forward to where everyone still feels that way and still feels connected, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of being able to uh, 
be a little bit, um, how would I put this, in order to sort of court diversity more, to, to put an emphasis on it, because uh, obviously I'm sure you're well aware of the vast amounts of research that's out there now that shows better performance um, when diversity is included, mm -hmm. when different uh, opinions, peoples with backgrounds, and genders and races, et cetera, are involved, performances go up, right? Um, what would be your advice um, now, man? Here, here's a, here's an example of way we can uh, lead from the middle, essentially. So as you're entering in, what advice would you give to other leaders in charge of programs in order to how do you court diversity? What kind of of tools can they put out there? What kind of things that can they do in order to make sure that they are getting the best people in the best positions and and also recognizing the need for that diversity within their programs in order to make sure that they're excelling at the rate that they need to. Well, first of all, I think that programs need to acknowledge the fact that diversity is a good thing and that, you know, we it has been proven in the world of business that diversifying d really does bring an organization or take an organization to new heights, and the same can be implemented in our profession. So the first thing is to definitely acknowledge that diversity is a good thing for our profession, Re you know, recruiting more women, more underrepresented minorities, you know, this will only fortify and enrich our field. So once you've acknowledged, like, okay, this is a good thing, now we need to devise some action plans. And then once we devise these action plans, then we need to effectively implement them. There are so many tools now to carry this out. So I think one of the best things for our profession that's happened is the um, establishment of the ACR Commission for Women in Diversity, because this is sort of the um, center point, I believe, of our profession. So if like, for example, you're at an institution and you want to get something like this off the ground, whether it's a diversity mentorship program or you know a women in diversity society or something, you can always go to this ACR commission and, and garner the tools that you need. Um, uh, and they have so many resources and tools and can kind of guide you along the way. Uh, there are certain institutions now that have women in diversity uh, or women in radiology groups. Uh, a shining example is University, University of Indiana now has a women in radiology group. And so you can go to institutions like this and say, hey, what worked for you? What didn't? I know that uh, Michigan, you know, particularly radiological societies are also embracing this. So, for example, Michigan Radiological Society is now making it their mission to provide a, and to um, promote a more inclusive environment so you can you can seek help from um, inst institutional level uh, from a state level ACR a national level to really you know implement these goals uh, so I mean all the tools and resources resources are out there it's just a matter of you actively acknowledging that this is a good thing and getting those tools and then effectively implementing strategies yeah that's great um, just one last question just sort of a, a parting advice. What would you say are the top one, two, three lessons, big lessons that you learned that you would want to pass on to somebody stepping into your shoes, taking over as, as a uh, chief resident? What, what are the top p pieces of advice that you'd like to, to leave? Um, I think that you need to learn that um, patience is a virtue and you have to be incredibly patient along the way and not lose your cool and try to stay level-headed and think of it from an objective viewpoint because, um, you know, sometimes you'll have a situation where you have two residents coming to you and each one have has a differing opinion and you really need to step back and sort of evaluate this as a situation as an outsider looking in it to make a 
final decision. So, and you know, a lot of this requires patience and staying cool, calm, and collected. So that would be, you know, one of the first things. Um, you know, I also think it's important that, uh, you know, as as much as you want to appease the troops, so to speak. So as much as I wanted to make my residents happy, and I worked, and they can attest this, I worked my tail off for them until my last minute as chief because I wanted to do a good job for them. You also have to learn not to get, you know, walked walked all over. So that's really important too. And that, you know, take it's a balance. And in the beginning, I attest to the fact that I was. You know, I was walked over in the beginning, but I let them walk over me. So uh, over time, you know, you just you decide, okay, how much can you can you take to a point of where you need to maybe you know stand your ground a little bit? And now, and, and it's a, it's I think when it comes to being a woman in a position of leadership, particularly when I was dealing with all males, this can be very tricky waters to navigate because women are often you know in positions of leadership they can be perceived as cold or you know I don't. To use any um, really explicit, ter <laughs> you know, words during the podcast, but you know they can be perceived as very harsh, cold women. And I wanted to project a personality where I was decisive in my opinions. I was confident, but I wanted to be seen. At, I wanted to be perceived as warm and approachable. And you can come to me for literally anything. And I think that I did achieve that in the end. And I and. The reason why I feel like that is that, you know, even though I'm not at that residency program anymore, I still have guys texting me and asking me for guidance and opinions and what they should do. And, and so that in and of itself shows me that I, what I um, set out to achieve, I accomplished that. So those would probably be my takeaways from the experience. That's great. Yeah, there's an unfortunate double standard when it comes to where if a woman's in a leadership role and she comes in strong and she makes a final decision, you disagree with it, then obviously you let the B word slip out. Whereas if yes. it's a man, right, it's just, oh, he's being strong or whatever. Exactly. So there's, there's absolutely that double standard. But as you, you were talking about it, it, it really kind of brought home that, that one of the, the, the latest research that's been out there the past several years by Daniel Goleman from Harvard and some of the others about the emotional quotient, the emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and a lot of what they talk about is w these are areas where women excel oftentimes mm -hmm. on a much greater scale, and it's oftentimes men putting more work in that instance in order to truly sort of recognize and have that, that empathy be there when learning how to do that. And so I think the other side of it, as you mentioned, is for women learning, it's more than okay, it's necessary to A, stand up for yourself, to be direct, and, and it's okay because those superlatives and whatever words that are coming out don't belong in that conversation. Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned the um, emotional intelligence because, as I previously discussed, one of my mentors is Sherry Cannon, and she is the one who taught me about emotional intelligence, and right, I was able right. to implement that you know, during this term. So it's funny how that ties in. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Amy, I, I really appreciate your time, and, and this has been very helpful, and I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of great insights from this podcast. Thank no, you so thank much. Thank you so much.